Hello and welcome to Dear Amelia, a podcast where I, a new father, have a series of conversations with friends on a whole range of topics, with the ultimate goal of presenting a collection of deeply personal thoughts for my daughter to listen to when she grows up. This is Benjamin Prabhu, and thank you for tuning in. have hoped for a better partner in the journey of parenthood than my dear wife Abigail. Rather than giving a long introduction, I want to dive into the talk that we had for this podcast. Fair warning, this is a long conversation, but the most special one of them all. You may also hear us speaking in hushed tones, mainly because Abigail was holding a sleeping Amelia in her arms all the while. Without further ado, here is Abigail. Hey babe. Hi. How are you doing? Doing okay. So of all the episodes that I've done so far with different people, I think this is the one that I'm most excited about because we have so much to talk about, but I want to start with where it all began. I know you remember well our first meeting and I have my... I try not to remember it. Well, I I have my version of it. But do you want to tell, or do you want to talk about probably the days leading up to us meeting on that day and that humid day in Chennai? Yeah. Um, So I had some friends in Central PA, and they called me probably like six, I think, weeks before um, they were planning to take a trip to India. Mm -hmm. And I... Well, like, they asked me if I could join them on their trip because they had another girl signed up to come, um, but she had to drop out, and they needed, they couldn't have just one girl go on their trip. So, I had already taken two other mission trips that year, um, so obviously I had to check with my boss, but the perks of working at a church is that they were okay with ministry trips, mm-hmm. even multiple through the year. So, uh, I was... Well, scramble, um, trying to get a visa and trying to just make sure I had all my bases covered and stuff before I left because we were going to be gone for um, like three weeks and that was one of the longest trips I'd taken. So um, we drove up, I drove up from North Carolina to Pennsylvania uh, with my friends who live there and then from there we went, drove to New Jersey and then flew out of New Jersey to India, um, and through the years, and after many, um, transcontinental trips, mm-hmm. come to realize that I do not travel well, um, and I think I get airsick, amongst other things, and just exhaustion, um, so by the time we got to India, after traveling for, like, more than 30 hours, I was sick as a dog, um, puking in the airport, Um, hadn't eaten anything and we got stuck in customs because our dear team leader decided to fill out our customs entry forms a little bit complicatedly so we I was standing there trying not to like fall over Um, I don't know what time it was 
I think by the time we got out of the airport. It was well after midnight. Yeah, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous. Um, so we're just standing in customs waiting for him to like hash out with them how we were going to, like who we were going to visit. Mm-hmm. Because you should always put that you're a tourist. And he said, we're visiting friends. And they said, well, where is your friend? And he didn't have an address. And it was just, it was a hot, hot mess. So I was worried that we wouldn't even get out of the airport at one point. But we did. And it was, you know, after midnight, 3 o'clock in the morning. Even still, pitch black outside. It's disgustingly humid and miserable. So we come out and dear John Prem and Benjamin Prabhu are standing there waiting having waited for who knows how many hours for us. With garlands. With garlands, yes. Um, because they were the welcoming committee and had to drape us all with Very our unenthusiastic Extremely unenthusiastic welcoming committee um, to welcome us and place garlands around our neck as a very traditional Indian welcome. Um, but it was more like plunked. Yeah, because I I knew everyone else on that team, and you were the only person I'd never met before. So I think by the time I came to you, I just, I think I just dropped it on your neck. Pretty much. Yeah, that's what I remember. It was very unwelcoming. No, it was fine. Um, It was just, I was, I was exhausted and sick and trying not to like pass out, propped on a luggage cart, trying also not to roll away. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You and John were exhausted from standing outside waiting for us, wondering where we were. Um, and that's how we met. Well, now you understand where I was coming from. <laughs> of course. But, but on that day, what is your impression, your first impression of me? Um, well, I thought you were pretty pretentious okay. and annoying. Because um, you were just like acting like you were too good to be the welcoming committee and just... Doing it out of <laughs> obligation, which you were having to do it out of obligation, but that's fine. Well, in my defense, it was, it, it was a bit of that, but it's also, well, I was excited to see all of my other friends. Because you um, knew everyone but I me. knew everyone else, and I was excited to see them, and I was excited to be kind of like, be on the road with everyone for the following two weeks, but... I was also exhausted. It was, as you said, well after midnight. I think by the time you guys came out, it was closer to 3 a.m. And then the icing on the cake. I mean, you probably were, like, wondering where the heck we were, too. Well, not so much because Chennai Airport is notorious for their customs. So we were not too surprised. Um, But then the icing on the cake was we had to do the garland thing, which personally I'm not a big fan of. To a person that you had no idea who they were. Even even to people I knew, you know, I'm I'm good with just like you know a fist bump or a just hug. Hey. Garland just seemed so much more formal to me, but I get the cultural aspect of it. But yeah, I was not too keen on it. So. So what was your first impression of me? My first impression of you was, um, <laughs> even after all these years, it's it's hard to say it, but <laughs> I was I knew everyone else, and I think everyone else. You know, they were smiling, they were they were tired, but they were also happy. And you were, like, the only person who looked very grumpy, and you didn't want to talk to anyone. You just wanted to get somewhere where you could just, like, rest. And for some reason, 
I just took it as you're not interested you were not interested in coming to India in the first place like and not even being there yeah like someone forced you to come to India and now we are grumpy about all of these things that we had to do like do the garland and, yeah so my first impression was that you were some sort of grumpy arrogant person so basically we had the same first impressions of each yep. other yes we did and somehow we um we made it all these years after that first impression um so after that we spent two weeks traveling Almost three weeks three weeks it was just a couple of days shy of three weeks i think okay. i mean that probably included travel but still yeah long time we we did a lot of traveling in those weeks where we went to different villages towns went to like churches high schools and i was basically your interpreter mm -hmm. um which was my first time too like my sister had done it before but this was my first time doing it and i was not sure how well i did <laughs> But None I, of us know. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody, I guess nobody will ever know. Exactly. It. Oh, that's the hope, but they did understand. <laughs> um, but no, I, I enjoyed that experience. But I also, I think that the thing that I remember about that trip um, all those years ago is like our relationship. I, I remember we just started talking about life. Like, we were just like trying to get to know each other because I didn't, I knew everyone else, but in your case, I was still trying to like get a sense of who you are as a person. And we talked a lot about like your life back in North Carolina, about your other mission trips. I honestly like cannot remember what we even talked about. So I'm glad you do. <laughs> it was, I mean, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about anything too deeply. It was just, you know, it was, it was a typical getting to know each other kind of thing but funnily enough it was the people around us who thought there was something going on between the two of us just because we were spending a lot of time i almost had fights a couple fights with people on the team because of it too <laughs> <laughs> um i remember my dad asking me and others on the team asking me and i was like well we're just talking what are you talking about we're just hanging out yeah so but Eventually, you know, when we got back to the States, we kept in touch. Um, I remember almost every day we we did, I think we did FaceTime regularly for a bit. Yeah, Skype. And we texted almost every day for like yeah. some months straight. And then... I can't remember how many months it was. So it was almost a year before I think you came to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I came like... For... So we went to India in October, end of October into November. Mm -hmm. um, and then I came to Pittsburgh that following December. Okay. So here, I want to clarify this. So when you came to Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. did you know that you had feelings for me? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I knew. Um... I don't know, like, why my parents decided it was fine for me to go visit some random person um, and not even have, like, anyone that we knew there with us. Um, I mean, maybe it was in the back of my mind, but I was just... 
don't know. I don't know where my brain was. I still well, don't really even know where my brain was in those days. I think we were both pretty much on the same level where, like, even for myself, I, I don't remember having any strong feelings, like romantic right. feelings. Like, we were good friends. We were close friends by then. But I remember when I was telling my parents and then my friends that you were you were coming over uh, for Christmas. And it was not even, like, proper Christmas Day. It was it's just for... Christmas program. Like, a Christmas program that you were coming for. And then everyone started asking... Oh, is there something going on between you two? Is there something that we should know? I feel like people back home for me were, like, thinking that. They never really, like, asked me about it. I think a couple people, like, joked about it. But I definitely didn't have as much, like, um, people asking me, like, what's going on? Where are you going to see them? What are Mm -hmm. you doing? I didn't. I don't think that really happened for me. But... Eventually, after you came over to yes. Pittsburgh, is when I, I feel like our relationship really started to snowball into something more. Yes, it did. Um, out of that Christmas in 2012. Yeah. That was when we unofficially started dating. Yes, we did. But it wasn't until, it, I think it was the following year, when I uh, came to North Carolina. In May. Yes, in May, and I asked your dad permission. Um, that was when we were, I think that was the official start of our dating right. relationship. And, you know, o- over all those years, I would say it was very gradual. Like, my feelings for you just grew and developed into something more. Do you recall any specific instances or moments where you just came to realize that I was the one? I've thought about that before, and I don't really feel like there was a moment. Like, even up until, like, we got engaged, and I sometimes think even up until we got married, like, is this really what's supposed to happen? Like, it was never, like... The falling, like, head over heels. I mean, I loved you, and it was great, but it was not like, oh my god, no one else in the whole world to sit. It was not a filmy... Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't romance. very rom-com, or and I think that, romantic that was, movie style. And that's your style. Yeah. <laughs> it suits you. Apparently. Not to say you're, like, not a romantic person, but that's just you. You're, like, a no-nonsense, and, like, getting to the point kind of person yeah and I think it was weird because I felt like I should feel that way like I felt like I should feel like head over heels and like absolutely this is the one and I just never really yeah pretty much up until our even up until our actually up until our wedding yes yeah I never felt like yes not like not 100% but I'd never felt head over heels Makes sense. Uh, in, in my case, I was a kid who grew up on Bollywood movies and like other Indian language movies where everything is so dramatic. Oh, yeah. Like romance and all of that. And so for most of my life, I kept thinking that I was going to fall in love in a very dramatic way. And oh, I mean, I did too. Yeah. I grew up so... on like Masterpiece and like Pride and Prejudice and... All of that, I 100% thought I was going to be, like, 
completely different sensibilities. Yeah. Those kind of shows and movies from Bollywood. But eventually, I feel when it came to real life, when it came to us, at least for me, it was just... You you got me. Like, in those years that we dated, a lot of the times we would talk. I don't think I've ever confided to anyone else in my life about a lot of the things that were going on in my life. Because I'm very notorious for keeping things very close to my chest and not really articulating it or sharing it with with others. But with you, I was able to do that effortlessly. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that was when I realized, like, I could... I could spend my life or the rest of my life with this person because she gets me. Right. So it was it was not a very it was not a super romantic realization. There were no bells ringing or, you know, like a song playing in the background. It was just like, okay, she's the one. And I can't recall any specific instance as such, but it was just very gradual to the point where it, it just felt like the yeah, next like we just like grew like, our relationship grew together to where, like you were going to say, the next thing was getting married. It was just the logical next step. Yeah. And for me, so that logical next step brought about the next big challenge, um, which was us getting married, but then figuring out how to balance the different cultural yeah. aspects of it. So you're a white girl from the South. Yes. And I'm this brown kid who moved to the U.S. in his 20s and having a very strong sense of the Indian, quote-unquote, culture or expectations that come with it in terms of how, like, weddings take place and how many people are invited. Mm -hmm. So that was very eventful, just the whole organizing aspect of it and figuring that out. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be a challenge. Like, you're, they're completely, not conflicting, but so different cultures, and you have to be accepting of the other. Um, I think from the start, I pretty much, like, had decided that it was, it was going to be an American wedding here, and then we were going to have a reception in India. Mm -hmm. Um... And I knew that I would not be able to handle the coordinating of, like, trying to do both. Trying to do both weddings in America. And um, it was definitely hard. Uh, My ideal dream wedding would have just been our immediate family, like my siblings, your sister, our parents. And that would literally be it. Yeah. Um, But... It morphed into a almost 200, 200 was my cap, but I think we ended up with almost like 180 people and um, a big, big to do. So, And that's not even a traditional big wedding. Oh, no, no. That's big for Americans. Yeah. But not big for, for Indians. So. <laughs> um, so I don't know if people can hear Amelia in the background. So Amelia... Yeah. That's you having your thoughts on our whole wedding story. So one of the things that I've been thinking about recently, um, Amelia is, uh, she's part of one of the fastest growing demographics in the country. She is biracial. And as she grows, as she grows up, she's going to be 
grappling with juggling uh, the Indian part of her, which would coexist with the American part of her. And, you know, just recently in the news, you know, we saw this being highlighted uh, due to Kamala Harris being appointed or being selected as vice presidential candidate. And that kind of brought, uh, you know, into the national conversation about, you know, um, individuals who are multiracial and as parents, I've been thinking about how do I raise my kids, making sure that they have a fair understanding of who they are, I mean, their roots, their parents, where they come from. Have you put in any thought into how we would raise um, essentially our biracial children? Um, I think just continuing to live life how we are right now. Like, we don't, it's not like we're hiding from or keeping Indian culture away. Like, yeah. I cook Indian food. You speak Tamil, and we attend Indian events, and the exposure to it, listening to music, watching movies, all of that stuff, um, because she needs to know both sides, and she needs to learn um, about her Indian heritage, and um, I think some people think that like having a biracial child, or having a child with um, Indian roots like the American side just wants to keep it keep them as American mm-hmm. and like essentially hide the Indian um, culture that they have but that's not um, I mean I I probably will never speak Tamil I hopefully <laughs> one day will be able to understand it um, but I think it's important like to be able to communicate with others and just to be able to know, just seeing things like how they dress, how they act, what you eat. You might not be expected to be able to tolerate the spiciest foods because Which even I'll fully be very Indian, by. well, fully Indian children in America can't even eat spicy food. Yes. So let's consider that <laughs> and the expectation of a biracial, a half Indian baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, uh, yeah, I think it's important, like, we kind of ate a lot of British-style food in my house because dad's side of his family is from the UK. We don't really know what mom's side is that much, um, besides, like, from the deep south, pretty much, um, so I think it is important, and it's not something that we're going to keep from her, and it's not going to be as prominent as in a fully Indian family. Um, yeah. But it's very important. And then she also needs to know, like, my roots and my side, mm-hmm. too. Absolutely. So it's not just, oh, you can only know the Indian side. No, that, that, that is family. why I think she's going to be so fortunate because she is going to get a peek into two different worlds. Oh, yeah. And she is the product of two different worlds coming together, and essentially. Very, very drastically different upbringing mm-hmm. and just lifestyles and everything, too. Yeah, and I agree. I think uh, I, w- I want to raise her with a full understanding of really the best of both worlds. 
and you know that is just going to affect her outlook in life and how she interacts with people from different backgrounds and yeah. how she empathizes or identifies with people from different cultures so um i think it is it is a big responsibility yeah uh to raise kids um who are biracial and and, and as i said there are going to be a lot of this is going to be a huge change in the demographics going forward in the coming years in the coming decades mm -hmm. and it is really important to raise um, the next generation with a good understanding of where they're from and how that shapes their approach towards life yeah so fast forwarding a little bit okay we're already talking about amelia and how um we want her to be or you know our hopes and dreams for her but before all of that she had to be born yes, and, and she, was. she had to get pregnant yes. now obviously we waited a while um yeah and we had to weather i mean a while relatively we waited well, two years Two years is a long time for Indian families. But it's not a long time for Americans. I can, so. I can remember right from the following month after our wedding, like people were asking. I mean, I'm pretty sure people joked about it at our wedding. Oh yeah, um, people wanted to know when we were when I, when we were planning to have, start having kids, or when we would visit family and friends. Mm -hmm. People having like sly glances. Um, at your belly to see if oh yeah so many um, people stared so many people I mean not even asking but like up down yeah look to see if I was hiding a pregnancy from and them because it just had to be hidden apparently I I I don't know I, I guess I don't know your feelings about it or I, I kind of do uh how you felt about all of that I just found it amusing um for most part <laughs> But thankfully, we both were on the same page. Um, and of course, I've told you several times before when I've had a quote-unquote baby fever. Oh, yeah. You had baby fever long before I did. Yeah. Um, and I've talked about it before, too. Um, but I feel we made the right decision. We definitely made the right decision. And when we eventually decided to give it a try or give it a go, um, we both were ready. Yeah. And it happened pretty much soon after. So, yeah, yeah. obviously, yes. you knew before I did. And I've I talked did. about how I found out the whole <laughs> sitting uh, in front of this uh, big gift box that you had for me and not realizing for almost an hour what what that was all about. Because it was your birthday. Yes. So, you broke the news to me on, on my birthday uh, about the positive pregnancy test. And and I've talked about how you know I felt and all of those, but I want to know your your feeling or your reaction when you first found out that you were pregnant. Um, it wasn't super dramatic. Like I don't even remember. I probably had like a couple tears. Um, I was pretty sure I was pregnant and had actually waited like a pretty long time before I even took a pregnancy test. Um, so it was pretty obvious to me. Um, if it had been negative, it would have been really weird. So I was expecting a positive pregnancy test. Um, and I probably because of that, 
it wasn't like a huge surprise because I waited and waited to take one. I don't know why. I think I just wanted to. I don't, I don't know. I just waited. I don't even know how many weeks. Um, but yeah, it was exciting. I think I was probably more excited to tell you than I was like excited for myself. Um, and then just like the nerves that come along with it, like in first trimester times and like hoping that everything sticks and is okay. Um, I probably had that more in my head than like the super excitement of being pregnant because I am always the glass half empty and pessimistic person so (laughs) um yeah it was exciting and it was fun to tell you and then fun telling our families as well um I probably I feel like I was more excited like telling other people than I was almost excited for myself so (laughs) yeah no I mean even in um I would say in, in Indian families it's just it's just fun to break the news because yeah. sometimes I feel like your family members are more excited than you would be. Oh yeah, definitely um, everybody was probably not just. I don't think excited. that's confined to Indian families, but yeah, that was that was fun to break the news to my parents, to your family, and yeah. we did some creative uh, ways to break the news. Oh yeah. Um. So that's that. Those memories will always be special. I- <laughs> So as we continue uh, recording for this episode, we are joined by a special non-speaking guest. Um, the subject of this podcast, it's Amelia herself. Um, she might make some contributory noises now and then. Um, but continuing to talk about the pregnancy itself, for me, it's just a blur. Um, yeah. As a husband, I feel like I had really nothing much to do except be supportive um and then of course everything started to just completely take off when your water broke yes do you you want to relive those (laughs) uh, um couple of days i was 39 weeks exactly no day before 39 weeks i think So it was Thursday, it was my last day at work, and I planned, like the whole time I was pregnant, I was like mentally prepared to go to like 41 plus weeks, because first time moms generally are over 41 weeks, um, and I just didn't want to be like, you know, we didn't tell people our due date because we didn't want people knocking on our door basically on our due date. Um, so I had mentally prepared myself for going long, um, but it was my last day at work. Um, I clocked out at, I think, at 2.30 or I I think I was supposed to work till 2 and ended up staying late and clocked out sometime after 2.30. Um, and then I had an appointment, um, with our midwives and that was like in the late afternoon um and we were on our way home and I was like yeah I'm like I'm definitely like relaxed and not ready like maybe I said I was ready for her to come but I felt like relaxed and ready to get ready for her to come um because I was hoping to have like some time to just rest and 
kind of nest and organize things and get Mm -hmm. stuff ready and pack a hospital bag and all of that stuff. But apparently uh, my body had other plans because that night around 8.30 I realized my water was breaking. Mm -hmm. We were sitting watching the Americans. I just finished dinner and I was like, "Mm, let let me go check on this. And uh, realized my water was breaking, and I was not happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) I remember you telling me, or you calling out to me, and I was just in denial, because in my mind, I pictured a very dramatic, um, like, very clear, okay, your your water broke, and we have to rush. Um, Well, because that's what it is in the movie. It's like, water breaks, contractions happen, baby's about to fall out right now. Yeah. Run! But that's not what always happens. That's not what happens. <laughs> I think for I kept us. telling you, like, uh, I don't think so. I, it, it's, it's not what we think it is. No. I yeah. hoped it wasn't, but. Subsequently, so we, our plan was to have her at a, a birth center. Yeah. Um, so we didn't, we didn't go to a hospital. That our plan was to have uh, her with the help of midwives. Um, how did, how was your decision? How did it come about? Like, this is what you wanted to do. To have at the birth center? Yeah. Um, just because it's a more, like, relaxed, um, not pressured, not, like, yeah, mostly that. Um, most births, if they're safe and healthy and everything's going well, don't really even need to be in the hospital. Like, birth doesn't need to be this whole medical event of having a baby in the hospital and all of that. Um, so I was just hoping to have like a relaxed, mm-hmm. um, supported, making sure that like we were all good and natural and no extra stuff and no pressure to be rushed or anything like that um and be able to go home really quickly afterwards too because the like their uh what they usually do is like between four and six hours after your baby's born you're able to go home whereas in a typical hospital you have to stay like at least 24 hours so that was another big thing is like i don't want a home birth but i want to be able to go home soon after right so So that's where we headed yeah um, the next morning on may 8th yeah. And uh, your mom came over from North Carolina pretty quickly. Yeah. And she uh, drove through the night. She said the moon was her guiding light and her friend. <laughs> it was a full moon also, which is LOL because it actually does affect people having babies. So. We are also in the early phase of this COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. So as far as restrictions were concerned... That was something new that we had to handle as well. Yeah, we didn't really know what was going to be the rules when she was actually being born. Right. Now, after we went to the birth center, of course, things did not turn out as we expected. Yeah. Uh, We were there for pretty much the entire day before, Mm -hmm. for safety reasons, they recommended that we transfer yeah. over to which is one of the reasons i was mad when my water broke is because once your water breaks you basically have about 24 hours before medical professionals start to get concerned for 
infection and safety of the baby because there's nothing protecting the baby anymore because um, the water is all gone. So right. that's when my water broke with no contractions or no active labor, it's mm-hmm. like simultaneously. Um, that's you're on a you're on a clock. So. Right. And we had to make that decision. I remember the midwives coming over to us and uh, talking to us about it, and it wasn't really the preferred choice. But you know, we had to to make that decision, uh, keeping in mind your health and the baby's health. And so we decided that yes, uh, let's go ahead and get transferred to the hospital. So we transferred to UVA or the University of Virginia uh, Hospital. And we, what could have been a really frustrating and sad time, um, to this day, I'm very grateful for the nurse who, from the moment we went into that room. Well, even when we were, like, pulling up into labor and delivery, she jumped out of her chair from her desk that she was working at because she was assigned to us and knew, we knew that she knew that we were coming. They called ahead to the hospital and sent all of our records over and everything. So they had everything ready for us to just roll into a room pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so from my perspective, <laughs> I don't think I've shared much about it with you. Uh, one, because it's only just over three months since mm-hmm. it all happened. And two, it's still it's still pretty recent and we still have some, um, we're still processing all. That was a very tough couple of days for us and we haven't really talked much about it um but from my perspective i i remember as hard as it was um there are like a bunch of people wanting to know what's going on so my parents were texting me yeah and uh, your parents were in town and yeah. but they were all kind of waiting well, and hoping mom was, that was the other thing with covid mom was able to they kind of made an exception. Mm-hmm. Um, most hospitals were limiting to one support person, but the birth center was allowed her to be with us. So right. um, dad also came up later in the day. Um, so he was at our apartment. Mom was at the birth center with us until we had to leave, and she wasn't able to come to the hospital with us. Right. So she had to leave and go home or go back to our apartment, go home to our apartment for the night um with dad and she couldn't because that was the plan is that she would be there and you would be there um for the birth of the baby and she wasn't able to come to the hospital because the hospital was limiting to one support person there so right and then so while all of this is going on i'm i'm there by your side um this is our first baby, and this is my first experience. Yeah. Uh, having uh, being there, uh, even though I have attended multiple deliveries, but from purely from a like a student Support. point of view as a medical student, mm-hmm. but this this is happening to me. This is happening to my wife. We're having our first baby, and it's starting out not really going the way that we were expecting it to go. So we're dealing with all of that emotion. We are dealing with exhaustion because this was midnight. Well, and we didn't sleep even the night before. Yeah. Trying so to get labor going. So operating on barely any sleep. You're physically exhausted. I'm mentally exhausted because I'm trying to make sure that we're making the right decisions as far as what we need to do. Um, 
and it, it worked out though without going into specific you know, without going into the details um amelia grace was born at just a few minutes before six wasn't it Five forty-six a.m yeah and again much like the pregnancy that last few minutes or the hour leading up to her birth it's just a blur i just remember i mean dawn was still to break well we had the doctor we had the nurse and they were just like talking to us and trying to take our mind off it but at the same time you know encouraging you mm-hmm. uh with the delivery and then um when she was born two things one we didn't know whether we were going to have a boy or a girl yeah. so i remember the doctor telling me um well, you call your job to call it you decided that so it was my job to call it whether it was a boy or a girl um and when they pulled her out and they were like, I remember the doctor holding up to me. And I'm like, Dad, you call it. And I'm, I'm looking for the distinguishing feature to say if it's a boy or a girl. But in my mind, I'm like, I need to be sure. I need to make sure that this is, um, um, you know, a boy or a girl. And I remember a second or two seconds. And you called it, though. Yeah, did you <laughs> take so long? I was just, I was just trying to be sure. I was just trying to be a hundred percent that this was a boy or a girl and you called it and yes, we did have a girl, a girl with a, a mop of hair that was just, you know, transfixed everyone. Everyone were just talking about her hair like that entire day. Like everyone who came to see her and, um, you know, talk to her about different medical decisions and stuff, but then they would look at the baby and they would be like, oh my God, so much hair. So and that would be was... like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. Yes. Like, wow. And nurses saying, like, I see, obviously I'll mm-hmm. see a lot of babies. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I don't say it about all babies, but she is beautiful. Like, I yeah. mean, I can't disagree with you. I'm not, it's not even that we're biased. Like, yes. she's, she's a good looking babe. Yes, Amelia, you were a really cute baby. Don't let that get to your head, but yes. you were really beautiful. You distracted a lot of medical so professionals on that day. Um, but yeah, I remember holding her for the first time and just, I don't know, just being so transfixed by her and that fact that we made a human being together. Yeah. What is your first feeling? Like when, like within seconds, they just put her in your arms much like you're holding it right now. Um, I was excited, relieved that it was over and that she was safe and everything because we were just pretty, con- like, it was stressful. It was mm-hmm. really hard two days of trying to have a baby. Um, so I think just relief and excitement and one of the first things she did when I looked down is that she was sucking her thumb, and it was just the funniest thing, and my mind was just blown, like, I don't know, minutes, I guess she sucked her thumb when she was in utero, and yeah. I looked down, and I was like, this baby's sucking her thumb, like, what in the world? So that was a super cute surprise. Um, yeah. So we are coming up on three months, well, three and a half. Just three, yeah. And... It feels like forever to me that we've had her, but in these few months, have you thought about motherhood? Have you put, like, how this whole event, this life-changing event, has 
um, what what changes has that brought to you or made you think about life or motherhood differently? Well, I've always known that I wanted to be a mom. Mm -hmm. So I think um, just kind of like finally being able to um, fall into that role after like so many years of wanting it, but then kind of like suppressing it for a number of years just because I didn't feel like it was the right time. So it's taken some time, some months, some weeks to to not necessarily be excited about it but like to feel comfortable of course um yeah it's just it's life changing but you just have to go with the flow and I've tried not to let it like hard times really get to me too much because you have to think like in the span of life like this hard time this sleepless night or this crying just endless crying sometimes that happens it's just like a blip in the life of each of us so yeah um just ex going into it expecting it to be hard I think was the best thing that I've done not you know and it being even harder because of dealing with having a baby during a pandemic like not sure who can come to visit or when people can come to visit or going to see friends or like going to a mommy's group like that was something I thought about the other day like oh it would be nice to like make mom friends or like go to a mom small group oh wait we can't do that because we're in a pandemic yeah so it's just I think the the pandemic has definitely made transitioning into motherhood a lot more difficult um, but it's also just, just doing it. Like you just gotta do it. You gotta and deal cool. and you gotta go. And if you don't, then your baby doesn't eat. And so you <laughs> gotta just wake up in the middle of the night and feed your baby so she can eat. Like that's just, you just gotta do it. So. And it will continue to be a learning experience. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think any of us come with, um, a full grasp or understanding of what it means to be a parent and we can read as many books as we want we can watch as many documentaries or take in advice from you know people but I think personal experience is really the best teacher yeah and I mean just in the last few months just raising her uh, from a tiny six pound baby to uh, she's doubled her weight now yeah probably more and she's so much more interactive she she like gazes into her eyes she smiles and talking. so she's she's growing fast and you know that means that we have to grow fast as a parent yeah. too and just keeping a pace with her and it, it's been fun I mean it is challenging as you mentioned the times that we live in due to the pandemic but the fact that we have been doing okay with her and that we have the support of friends and family, um, that I think is such an important thing for us. So how do you think it's changed? Fatherhood has changed you or? I think it has made me more, um, 
responsible. I mean, I always felt I was responsible, but it wasn't till she was born that I feel, <laughs> doesn't sound like you believe me, but okay. <laughs> I feel like it has made me, or let me put it this way, it's made me more aware of my responsibility. Yeah, that's um, probably better. Yeah, because I've always felt that I'm a responsible person, but having uh, a, another human being who's completely dependent on you, mm-hmm. uh, that makes you more aware uh, of how serious you need to take parenting, of how serious I need to take fatherhood. And so that's made me more aware of the responsibility I have for her, uh, my obligation and duty as a dad. And, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I decided uh, to start this podcast is just really record or document a lot of the things that I want to share with her or even for her to have while long after I'm gone. So it's just that sense of, I think in the last few months, I've had this pressing thing that before my time time runs out, I need her to, I want her to be aware when the time comes, I want her to be aware of certain things. Um, And I need to do my duty as a dad to make sure that she is prepared for life. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is what I've, uh, that is the most or the biggest thing that I've experienced um, you know as far as changes are concerned but again three months into it, it life is already kind of normalized for me like I don't feel strange about being considered a dad mm-hmm. I remember those first few weeks people would ask so how's fatherhood going How how's being a new dad and it would feel so strange because it felt like they were talking about a third person um, and I'm like, oh, I'm that dad, or I'm that uh, father with a baby. And three months on, I feel like it's it's kind of like how, you know, after we got married, those first few months, yeah. it felt like we were roommates. We didn't yeah. feel like a couple. But then gradually, one day, it just faded away, and we were husband and wife. And that's how I feel now as a dad. I feel that has settled into my consciousness, that I've accepted it, and like you I'm just doing what needs to be done and not getting too hung up on oh no I'm a dad I need to do this I need to do that when you can't like focus on your life changes and Mm -hmm. so you can't like be upset when you want to do the things you want to do like you just can't do it anymore like we can't go for drives like yeah those kind of changes like her car seat so we just have to accept that and you can be sad about it and like, man, I wish we could do this or I wish we could do that or have that freedom again or whatever. Mm. But, but again, those it's just that's become so normal, right? Yeah, like I remember this first life. what you chose. First few weeks after it was it was hard. Um, you know, I felt like our whole routine was just disrupted. Oh, yeah. And everything centered around her, but now it's just normal. It's it's now our normal routine. Like everything that revolves around her yeah. and I'm fine with it and I love it. And for me, that is really the best example of me having adjusted to fatherhood mm-hmm. and, and Just learning how to like mesh the two worlds together, like yeah, retaining your individual uh, identity while also being a husband, being a dad. I mean, people have done that for centuries. I don't see why <laughs> I should be an exception. Uh, and it just comes with time. It comes with experience, and it comes with you know when you genuinely love your wife and child, I think it's not a big leap. Yeah. 
yeah. in making that adjustment. So, um, like I said, uh, we'll I, I will continue to learn as a father. I will continue yeah. to learn. I will continue to learn as a husband. And I'm just excited for that adventure, especially us doing this together. Yeah. Like I've seen you take this, take take motherhood very naturally. Diving diving into motherhood just so naturally, just because. It's something I've thought about, you've planned for, and I see it. I see you doing a lot more, you know, an effortless job with it, um, even whether you feel that or not. Yeah. While for me, fatherhood is not something that I thought about till probably around the time we got married. So it, it's a little bit of a change, um, a change for me, but ultimately just doing this together, uh, us doing this together, taking care of her, raising her I think it doesn't feel as challenging as it might be for others yeah. so I'm just excited for what's coming ahead so before we close um, I'm always I mean the whole purpose of this podcast is to record something for her to listen when she grows up um, so have you thought about what message or what you would like her to know you know um for grown-up Amelia, when she listens to this, is there something that, as a mom, in her first, in Amelia's first year of life, is there a message that you have for her? I think my message for grown-up Amelia is to stay strong, um, just because we've been through and lived through so much in your, your first few, first few three little months on Earth, just has been just seems so crazy um dealing with pandemic and just life happening and all the crazy that we were dealing with right after you were born um who knows what it's going to be like in the world when you're grown up enough to hear and listen to these um but whenever you were a tiny baby in those first three months especially um like right after your tongue-tie procedure and we had to do really awful awful stretches that were really painful and um but we had to do them um so that your mouth would heal correctly and all of that stuff um I just every time we did it and you would cry I would just tell you you were so so brave because you were it was terrible um even if you're crying about something whenever something was hard or whatever just reminding you that you were being so brave, even as a baby. Um, so my message is to stay strong, be brave, be sweet, and care for and love others, and that your mom loves you very, very, very much. Well, I can't think there is any better way to end this um, episode, but... I'm just so proud of you as a mom and I'm just so excited that we're on this journey together and Amelia just know that your parents love you now and always well that's it for this episode of Dear Amelia Thank you for listening and tune in next time as I close out with some final thoughts for my daughter. Till then, this is Benjamin Prabhu signing off. And Amelia, 
You're the best thing that has happened in our lives. Love you always. Mom and Dad.